0: You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin.
1: Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are.
2: We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not
1: because they are easy, but because they are hard.
0: And once again, it's my great pleasure to welcome into the studio our resident stargazer, space expert. It's Howard Parkin. Faster my Howard. Faster my Judith. Great to be here again. Now, as always, let's start off with uh, perhaps talking about things that you've particularly enjoyed looking at over the last few weeks and most particularly what we can look forward to in our skies for the coming month.
2: Well, the big news this month is the fact that astronomical twilight, which is the name given to when it's not quite dark and it's not quite um, light still, it comes after nautical twilight, um, ends on the 2nd of August, which means we get proper dark skies again for about half an hour only but nonetheless we get proper dark skies but that said judith last tuesday night i was just going to bed it was about midnight time and i spotted this bright object in the sky which was the planet jupiter actually and i thought oh stars out! let's go and have a look and i went outside in my back garden in onkin about midnight last tuesday and the sky was breathtaking even I was astounded. I mean, sometimes you just get that wow factor with the sky. The Milky Way was like a cloud stretched right across the sky. It was phenomenal. It was so good. I, you, When you get nights like that, you can't recognize the constellations because the bright stars of the constellations merge into the other ones. So the, the very bright ones, which you just see on their own uh, when it's, it is twilight, um, I could hardly make them out. I could obviously in the end make them out. But it was just that wow factor. And I thought, oh, this is a sign of the um, the autumn to come, hopefully. And it really was stunning. And um, always, if you're interested in astronomy at all, just before you go to bed, just stick your head out the door, just stick your head out the window or have a look through the window. And if it's clear, just go outside and look at it. Because sometimes, like that, totally unexpected, it's probably the best sky I've seen for about three or four months because it's been so light over the summer. But um, that was just last Tuesday night. Isn't it wonderful that with all the years of experience that you have, Howard, the places that
0: you've looked at the sky, you've looked in the southern hemisphere, all over the place, that you can still be be completely overawed by it? Absolutely. Doesn't that show how special this all is? It,
2: it does. And when you look at the sky like that, it just blew me away, literally. I'm, I'm delighted to say I've just been invited to become an advocate for the International Dark Skies Association. Uh, I met someone when I was on the cruise I did a few weeks ago in Alaska and she was one of the advocates for international IDA. It's called the IDA Dark Skies Association and um, for Tennessee or something like that and she invited me and I applied and uh, they've accepted my application and it's going through at the moment. So I'll be an official Dark Skies advocate. So does that mean that you can talk exhaustively about the Isle of Man everywhere you go? Absolutely, that's the plan. <laughs> I can talk about the Isle of Man having wonderful dark skies and why we should be so, so proud of it and uh, enjoy them As I saw the other night. And why people should come over and... Absolutely right. ...share them with us. Absolutely.
0: So, what can we see in our wonderful dark skies? Well,
2: on Tuesday, what caught my eye was this very bright object in the sky, which you could see even in a lit room, and that was Jupiter. I knew it was Jupiter straight away, because I knew Jupiter. I'd just been doing some paperwork on it anyway, on, on what's visible. So that was Jupiter. I went out to see Jupiter, and Jupiter's like a beacon. It, it was that bright, for a minute I thought it was Venus. That's how bright it was, and I knew it wasn't because Venus is in the morning sky. But do you remember in June, we talked about that, all the planets sort of all got together in the morning sky, and there was quite a bit of um, fuss about it, there's quite a bit of things in the newspaper, we talked about it on our show. But they've all now changed positions again now. Saturn, Jupiter, and indeed the, the planet Mars, are all now in the evening sky. Saturn's visible all night goes through what we call opposition uh, when it's opposite the sun on the 14th of August Jupiter so bright you can't miss it in the eastern sky and not far behind it but much fainter is the planet Mars which is of course is always in the news for one reason and the other and uh, those three have now all gone into the evening sky leaving I won't say poor Venus, because Venus is making such a show in the dawn sky at the moment. It's phenomenal, the brightness of Venus. And it's slowly dropping towards the um, eastern horizon. Uh, it'll go round the back of the sun on the, whatever date it is in October. And when it does, it'll then reappear in our evening skies, which it might just be glimpsed just before Christmas. So that's the planets. But the stars at the moment, and this was true because when I was looking at the stars the other night, yeah, for a minute I couldn't work out what I was looking at and then I realised what I was looking at was the autumnal constellations, we have the wonderful stars of what I call the Summer Triangle we spoke of many a time, but coming up behind it in the northeastern sky was this big square in the sky with nothing in the middle of it, and that of course is the square of Pegasus, and that's one of the signs or one of the constellations we see in autumn and then um, once seen never forgotten and of course they've got the Andromeda Galaxy which is just above it, which you could see with the naked eye the other night, it was so clear, I forgot about that, so we haven't got the bright bright stars of winter around at the moment and um, we've got sort of the summer stars disappearing in the west slowly you've got the fainter autumn stars coming up and um, giving us a reminder of what's to come in the winter which is of course the bright stars of Orion and Sirius and Taurus and all those stars.
0: What about meteor showers? Well, what about
2: we save the best to last. Gone. There are two great meteor showers every year. There's one in December the Geminids but the other one is in August the Persid meteor shower and the Persids are usually the best of the bunch. You get more meteors per hour. It's in a part of the sky, the, the northeastern part of the sky, which is readily visible, especially for us in the Isle of Man. And um, it's nice warm nights to go out stargazing. Unfortunately, this month, we, this, this year, we've got the full moon on the same day. And the full moon will be rising in the northeast and Perseus the constellation Perseus where the meters come from is to the north of where the moon will be and uh, so that will drown out a lot of the fainter ones but just put the moon to one side as it were look towards the northern horizon or the northwestern horizon and you may well see in fact I'll, I'll still guarantee you will still see meters even with the full moon there'll be enough bright Perseid meters around the 12th of August that you'll still see them and um, it's that prolific a shower they reckon you'll see one a minute um, which is what we call a zenith hourly rate of one a minute, or 60, uh, which is one a minute. And uh, it's never let me down. What does let us down, of course, is the weather. That's the one thing we can't control. Um, but uh, we'll wait and see. I, I quite often talk about, probably talked about on this show before, 2015, we had no moon. Beautiful, clear night like I had the other night. And uh, I saw about 40 in about 30 minutes. They were just one after the other. You'd see one, two, and then you'd have a short break. And then bang, 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 be another few quite phenomenal and always great to look at and this is the month to look for them so yeah. 12th of August evening of the 12th stroke 13th and um, look out for the Persids and uh, look towards the northeast horizon but don't focus on one area because they can appear anywhere but they trail back to the constellation Perseus. Persia since the name but I've got a question from
0: oh. a listener for you, How oh We need we need a bit of help
2: Do now.
0: Well. This is from Margaret Peacock, who lives in Rushton in Northamptonshire. Right, and she messaged in and she said that on the fourteenth of July, right. where she lives in Rushton, Northamptonshire, she and various other people in the area saw at seven forty at night a very bright light in the sky it was she said it was almost like lightning and she she describes it as tumbling twisting and then it just disappeared
2: and she wonders what was it what i will say straight away is it was a ufo it was an object she saw in the sky it was flying and it has at at this point been unidentified and i like to make that distinction because a ufo is exactly that it's an object that has yet to be identified in the sky so she saw a ufo What was it? Well, there's a number of things it could have been. My first thought was it was the International Space Station, which was visible in July, passing through our skies at around that time. It actually was a bit early for that. No, it probably wouldn't have been the ISS. There you go, because the sun doesn't go down until much later. Um, so it wasn't the ISS. It could have been a re-entering satellite. Because what happens with some of these satellites? They've got big solar panels on. The sun catches the solar panels. And as they, they tumble as they re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, and eventually the panels will just literally ripped off and burn away. Um, so it could well have been that. But the strongest candidate for that was I had to rack my brain cells for this one. There was a SpaceX launch from Kennedy on the 14th of July. Now, I haven't checked the exact timings of this, but I've seen myself before now, especially when they've been launching space shuttles, you can see the external tank of the space shuttle following the space shuttle into into space from the UK. And I reckon what she saw almost definitely was the first stage of the SpaceX rocket CRS-25, their launch vehicles launch from Florida and they tend to launch quite a high latitude because it's going up to the space station. So the highest latitude it gets to is 51, which is the latitude of London. So Northampton is not far away from London. So I'm almost certain that would have been the first stage, tumbling as it literally um, was coming back down to to Earth. I don't think that one landed. A lot of their first stages, they bring back to Earth in a controlled way and land them on a barge in the Atlantic. Um, But sometimes, because of where they're going and how much they're carrying, um, they literally burn up and um, fall into the Atlantic Ocean. So I'm reckoning it was the core stage of a SpaceX rocket launched on the 14th of July from Cape Kennedy. I would say... Well done, Mr. Parkin. <laughs>
0: Margaret, thank you very much Yes, indeed. thank you, Margaret.
2: Nice to get a question.
0: Yeah, thank you for your interest in the programme, Margaret. And, nice uh, to hear from you. And if you too have a question for Howard or anything that you would like yep. to ask him, Howard Parkin at manx.net. Email Howard with your question and we'll include it in the next programme. Well, I think that's a cue for music, don't you, Howard? I do, and
2: I know just the song for it.
1: In your mind you have capacities you know To telepath messages through the vast unknown Please close your eyes and concentrate With every thought you think Upon the recitation we're about to say. of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary craft Yeah.
0: And that leads us neatly on to talking about space. Now, right. I I know that you've been here on the news and talked about it, but we have just got to mention the James Webb Telescope and the incredible images. We,
2: absolutely. We couldn't not mention it. It's been the most exciting news in astronomy and space for some time. And this whole situation, this whole saga, the whole launch and the uh, unf- folding of it and sending that the test images and everything else and I was actually aware as I I mentioned earlier and they announced NASA announced they were going to launch these pictures I think it was the 12th of July and the anticipation in the astronomical community and everything else was just breathtaking and they didn't disappoint the images they sent back there was five images in particular they sent or the showed us and they're just absolutely breathtaking and when you consider that one of them in particular is showing galaxies that were only formed now i know when we talk about millions of years people get confused but just for a second imagine the universe started 13.7 billion years ago so imagine 13.7 billion as a number now what we're seeing with the james webb telescope is further back almost to the point of the big bang we're looking at just 200 million years after the big bang now on a cosmic scale 200 million compared to 13.7 billion is a is, is is tiny And that's what this image was showing. This is what the James Webb was built for. It is showing images now almost back to the birth of the universe. Uh, the Hubble could get back to about, uh, I think, it's so like 500 million. But no, but this is now showing features. And the other great question, again, and I'm sorry to be too technical, but people are saying, why is it not looking in optical wavelengths? Why is it looking in infrared? It's looking in infrared because everything's receding so much. You've got what we call redshift into the images, and then redshift into the data coming back. And that's why we're looking in the infrared and the near-infrared. And that's why these images are so special, because, as I say, we can get back that far to the origins of the universe just breathtaking I don't profess to understand a lot of what they're doing these images are great they're great for the media they're great for the radio and the TV and all the rest but what you've got to do is read the um, the blurb that goes with it and they go to great lengths to explain them I've just been doing an exercise I'm actually preparing a lecture on the James Webb telescope so I've downloaded these images as high resolution as I could get but at the same time, onto the file I'm using, I've downloaded all the blurb as well because there's so much to talk about of them. And of course, what you've got to try and do is talk about it in terms that don't bore the pants off people. I mean, the the, the, the one image that shows the universe 13.7 billion years and 200 million years after, that is comparatively easy to talk about. But the other images they've shown us, one of the Carina Nebula, for instance, these clouds, these cosmic cliffs, they're just breathtaking Beautiful images. Uh, The explanation is is a lot more complex because it's the different density of gases and you've got supernova explosions and all sorts of things going on. But um, they're just showing these pictures to show what this telescope can do. That image, incidentally, the 13.7 one I mentioned, the first one I mentioned, um, they're doing another version of that which won't be released till February next year. Now, there's a lot of... One of the great stories about the Hubble Space Telescope, and this is what James Webb has done, is... Imagine a grain of sand on your fingertip and stare at it for seven days or whatever and see what you can get out of it. Someone suggested this for the Hubble. They thought, what a waste of time looking into nothing. There's nothing there. Why are we looking into a part of space where there isn't anything? And they discovered galaxies and all this sort of stuff. So building on that experience from the the Hubble, they're doing the same with the James Webb now. And they're now doing a a bigger deep field images. And I, I can't wait to see that one as well. I think, would it be true to say that whilst
0: it's very exciting to see what this is capable of doing and to see these images, that it's going to take years for
2: it to be fully interpreted and to see what it really tells us? Oh, yes, there'll be papers, there'll be PhDs, there'll be masters and all sorts of things written from these. These, This telescope, successfully getting to its place where it is now, it's unfurled and doing its stuff now, there's going to be so much science come from that telescope. There's going to be so much discoveries, there's going to be so much uh, new theories, there's going to be so much... uh, I won't say a basic understanding because it's going be a complex understanding, but it's going to unwrap a whole load of secrets that are things we want to know, and uh, I can't wait to see what they talk about. Do you think it's going to blow a lot of theories out of the water? My view will be it's going to reaffirm what has been discussed. I mean, the, one of the things about... Um, I'm sorry, I'm have being complex a bit, but gravitational lensing, where you've got a galaxy where light gets bent around it because the gravity is bent, the light is bent by gravity. Uh, that image I mentioned a moment ago that shows evidence of the gravitational lensing, and that's a thing that Einstein talked about way back 100 years ago. And um, this image is reaffirming those discoveries. As of the moment, and I, I only speak from my own experience. And okay, I might have a, a lot of knowledge about astronomy, but nothing like the astrophysicists of the world. But um, I don't think there's any major things to be found, but who knows? Uh, there will be there'll be tweaks, there'll be changes. I mean, one thing the Hubble did, uh, the Hubble proved that the multiverse theory is probably not valid. There is only one universe is what the Hubble conclusion is. There was a big theory that there were multiple universes in the in the universe, for want of a better word. Um, but the Hubble tend to disprove that. Now, the James Webb will either reaffirm that decision that, all oh, that um, discovery by the Hubble Space Telescope, or maybe it'll point us in a slightly different direction. And that's where we could have something exciting. And uh, I, I can't wait to see it all. It sounds, from the conversations
0: that we've had, that right along the line, everything has worked on this James mm. Webb. There's been no point where they've oh, said... Oh, well.
2: Or, or, or is that not... No, I'm afraid that's not the case. Um, the James Webb... Launched perfectly, it unfurled perfectly. It got to its launch posi- its, its um, orbital position, perfectly. It's been hit by meteorites six times already, far in excess of what they anticipated. One of which has damaged one of the mirror segments, and they are concerned. They're actually thinking already of using the telescope in a different configuration, turning it away from the direction of travel. Remember, you know, what I always say about meteors, always hit the front wheel and screen of your car. It's exactly the same with the James Webb telescope. Um, it could just be they were unlucky. Um, but one of these actually put a dinge in the mirror, for want of a more technical expression. And they're concerned that um, if a lot of this happens then it would there's nothing they can do about it. And that's the first sort of negativity about it, but it's beyond the control of the scientists and the engineers. And um, all they can do is protect the telescope in some way. It has what they call a micrometeorite shield and a sun shield on it. And um, so if they'll make sure they look in the right direction, maybe the shield will be in the right direction to prevent any further damage. And um, but I know they're talking in a couple of years time when we pass through the debris of Halley's comet again. Um, that they're going to have to be very careful then. But it's so far away, they can't really get out there and fix it. Although even now, this is a, I know you haven't asked this question, but even now, um, the comment has been asked of NASA, can we get out to the James Webb Telescope and service it? No, current technology won't allow for that. And that's the key words, current technology. And when the Artemis mission launches at the end of this month, which we haven't talked about yet, and um, that's the first step of NASA going into deep space, and who knows what that might lead to. Mm-hmm. So much to going on, it's incredible. You know how it unfolded to start yeah. with? Oh, yeah.
0: If they felt that they were going through debris or or, or another meteor shower, can they fold it up no, again? No, they can't. They, Once that, it's that, out, it's out. That
2: was actually suggested at one point. I believe when they designed it, there was talk about uh, the ability to turn it back. But it went for like 400 stages to unfurl it, and of which the mirror was only in the middle of that. And um, so they couldn't go back.
0: It just shows that there is only so much we can control. Absolutely. Um, let's talk again about the, the International Space Station mm-hmm. because we talked with all the, the dreadful situation between Russia and U- Ukraine. We did talk about how that might possibly mm. affect cooperation with the space programme. And it, is everybody still playing together on this one? Well, road? up
2: until a few days ago, yes, they were. But the Russians made an announcement completely out of the blue. In fact, it wasn't completely out of the blue because the, the, the Cosmos, which is the organisation that managed the space station, the equivalent of NASA uh, in Russia. Putin himself dismissed the head of Rovocosmos. They're now backtracking and saying he's been moved to a more important position. And they've appointed this new guy. uh, And he made a statement only a few days ago to say that Russia are going to withdraw from the International Space Station by the end of 2024. And this, as little alarm bells because obviously there's a Russian segment on board they've got the motors we mentioned this at a previous meeting uh, if you want to change the orbit of the ISS you've got to use the Russian module I'm sure there will be agreements between the US and the Russians as to how and why and when they will do this and um, I would like to think it's political posturing and that they're not intending to leave it and um, but They've said that they're going to be focusing and concentrating on their own orbital space station. So they're making a statement they're going to launch their own. You see, the Chinese, you see, it's all, it all links together. The Chinese have just launched their new module to their new space station. Um, and so Russia may be thinking, I don't know, I can't think of the minds of Russians, but maybe they're thinking if China have got their own space station, the Russians should have their own space station. And the ISS is getting old. and um, There are plans to deorbit it. They, they reckon it was going to keep going to about 2029. And... Um, this may have an impact and um, change, I don't know. Because in the meantime, they're also talking about putting a space station around the moon. So it's all go, Judith. I tell you, I, I struggle to keep I, up myself.
0: <laughs> I, I just picture all this congestion up there. Well, with that all these is another things, problem, yeah. With all these things up in the air. Yeah, very you know, much,
2: very much up in the air. Because
0: yeah. whilst, whilst there's an infinite
2: amount of space...
0: Where they want to be seems to be all in the same place.
2: Yeah, the low Earth orbit, that's the place to be. That's where the International Space Station is. And then you've got the geosynchronous orbit, which is much further out, therefore much bigger. Um, And orbital debris is a huge problem. And uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to deal with it and have some means of um, collecting material or deorbiting it or um, recycling it. I don't know. So watch this space, I think, is the expression.
0: I'm listening to you, Howard, and it's all the problems that we've got on Earth. And we've just exported them all up in the sky, haven't we, to an extent, haven't we? That's
2: what human beings do, isn't it? We do. We make problems. But but on the other hand, we bring back wonderful science as well. And that science gives us an understanding and also brings us the things that we have on the Earth. I mean, the technology we have today um, compared to what we had 20 years ago, even. And that's all come about by scientists and explorers. Well, talking of good stuff out there, open nights. Yes. These are going to be
0: good stuff, aren't they, Howard? Well, they are
2: indeed, because we're delighted to announce the Isle of Society. We had a, I think I mentioned this a few months ago. Uh, we had a technical problem. We had the the, uh, the dome was broken on the observatory. So we've taken the opportunity to close it all down. We've got scaffolding around it. And the boys there, they've done a great job. Um, the Laxi Mines people in particular, I'm not just singling them out, but they've done a great job of fixing it for us. And there's going to be a reopening later this month for the members. Uh, and straight after that, we're going to launch a series of open nights like we did a few years ago, just before COVID hit and messed everything up but we're going to try and hold a number of open nights they're going to be held through Eventbrite um, it'll be details will be advertised on Eventbrite as soon as we can do it and I'll mention it on the show when I, I know the dates um, but what we'd like to do is to get people up there and um, see what we've done show them what we've got there at the observatory and fingers crossed if it's a clear night we can show people the wonders of the night sky but even if the,
0: the weather isn't suitable for that, it will be fascinating to see the observatory. Uh, I'll be up there because I've never seen it. Have you never been, Judith? I have never been. It, well, an you know, open
2: invitation know, to come to the first open night.
0: Thank you, because it's one of those things that you think, I must do that. I must. That. People mention it, they think, oh yeah, I must do that. So come on, you know, we, it's reopening now, it's got a new lease of life. So so isn't this a great opportunity for people like myself who've always meant to go there
2: to to go and discover it? Well, I'll be honest with you, what we've done up until just before COVID, um, we used to have requests to visit by WIs, by Probus Clubs, by Rotary Clubs, by Scouts, Guides, Brownies, schools, you name it. And we would, where we could, oblige them. And we used to open the observatory up on demand, as it were, subject to having someone to do it. And we realised that this has never gone away after we opened the observatory back in 2001 we thought this would be a flurry of activity which would slowly die away it never has so what we tried um just before covid as i said was a series of open nights and um, yes there's a small charge involved. I think it's 10 pound i can't remember the figure now um but what we can do is we can pick the nights and we can get two or three of us to go up there at the same night and advertise it in advance and we can take up to 40 people at once and if we the plan is we'll probably do I don't know if we'll do it definitely but my plan is to do one a month um, starting hopefully in September and then we'll do one a month right through till December then do the same in the spring as well and that will get more people interested get people to see the place and it'll also bring in funds for us which is obviously something important because we just had a huge bill to have it fixed and so it'll it'll be a win-win for everybody. We'll get some money in. People will get to see it. And hopefully we'll get some new members out of it as well.
0: Howard, we have, as usual, been beaten by the <laughs> clock. <laughs> what but, a surprise. <laughs> but
2: I look forward to, obviously, to welcoming
0: you back into the studio on the final Sunday of August. But also, then hopefully you'll have the dates for those open nights and we can get ourselves properly organised for that.
2: I certainly hope so.
0: In the meantime, Howard Parkin, Faster My, thank you. Faster My Judith.